Let me invite you to grab your Bibles this morning and turn to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. Chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning. And then we will ultimately find our way into the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and chapter 22. And if you've been with us for the last few months, maybe you've been with us for the last 12 months, you know we're bringing a 12-month journey to conclusion today. Uh, beginning last January, we launched into something we call The Story. And as a church family, we committed to read through the Bible, study through the Bible, and preach through the Bible in a year. So we started way back in Genesis several months ago. And i got to tell you, it's a little bittersweet for me this morning, knowing today will be the last uh, message we preach in this series called The Story. And we're going to land the plane in the book of Revelation. What an incredible way to end our year together. So we'll get there in just a few minutes. But we're going to start first in First um, Peter chapter 1. Uh, but again, it's been a great journey together, our prayer through this reading the Bible together and uh, talking through God's Word together. It's not just that you know more Bible facts, not that you just know, well, I know this story a little bit more or maybe know the flow of this. All that might be important. The goal for us in the last 12 months has been simply this, to know the God of the Bible as He makes Himself known through the pages of Scripture and those passages that we really like and those passages that we may not be so comfortable with as God reveals Himself in His fullness through Scripture. So our hope and prayer is that you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good through His Word. And I pray that you and all of us going into 2016, that you give place to this book in your life like never before. Say, well, we're finished with the story series, and I've, I've read through the Bible in a year. Awesome. Start over. <laughs> or find somewhere to begin reading this book, because uh, the fruitfulness of your spiritual life and your life in Christ will be in direct proportion to the place you give God's Word. Period. So all the New Year's resolutions you may have in 2016, I pray that you give place to the living Word of God in your life. We we started 12 months ago with creation. We saw how God created a people. He created Adam and Eve to know Him, to have a relationship with Him, to live in perfect harmony there in the Garden of Eden. Just imagine that, perfect relationship with each other, Adam and Eve, a marriage that was perfect, no squabbling or arguing was ideal. God created that perfect relationship there. Perfect relationship with creation. Perfect purpose. Adam and Eve knew their purpose. They were fruitful. They were helpful, beneficial in the place that God had planted them. And then sin entered the world. Genesis 3. Flip on the news. Read the newspaper. Look at your own life. We live in a Genesis 3 fallen world, right? It's the only way you can explain the world as it is today. It's a Genesis 3 fallen world. But even from the beginning, even before sin, God had a plan of redemption. We walk through that beginning in Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament. Abraham, a nation, Israel, a people, a Messiah, Savior, the God-man who came and lived and died and rose again and now fills the life of His church and we live on mission to make Him known. So we've been looking back, if you will, for the last... Eleven and a half months of all that the Bible tells us about. And this morning, with great anticipation, personally, I just got to tell you, I'm kind of giddy about this message this morning. As we look ahead and ask the question, where's this whole thing going? And where's this whole kingdom of God thing that we talk about and we study about and we sing about? Where's this thing going? I mean, do we, do we know what the future holds? Is it 
unclear? Is it murky? I mean, Pastor Mike, times seem to be darker than they've ever been. We seem to be in the final hour. Is this the apocalypse? Is it what? It's so fuzzy. Listen, we have with great certainty what the future of the kingdom of God holds. And the Bible tells us that. So this morning, we're going to look ahead to the future. And it's very important because here's the big idea for you and me this morning. Our certain future deeply impacts the way we live today. Our certain future is the people of God, of those who have been redeemed, those who know Christ, deeply impacts the way you live your life today. Now, let me illustrate this for you a little bit as we begin, then I'm going to read First Peter and we'll jump over into Revelation. Uh, I imagine in this room over the next few weeks, a lot of you are going to watch some football on TV, right? Amen? Some of you, a few of you. Tennessee fans, we get to play on New Year's Day. Hallelujah. Uh, Dallas Cowboy fans like myself, well, better luck next year, right? Bad year. But we're going to be watching some football on TV. I love watching football games on TV. There's two ways to watch a football game on television. Ready? One way is that you watch the football game live. And you're watching it play-by-play play as it happens. And you're, you're watching your team and all the ups and all the downs and the drive of the other team. The other team gets ahead and it's the third quarter and your other, the other team's driving. And you're thinking, I don't know if my team's going to win or not. It doesn't look good for my team. We're down by this many touchdowns or whatever. And you go with the ups and downs and you don't know how the game is going to turn out until you finally get there. That's one way to watch a football game. Here's my favorite way to watch a football game. Ready? The magical, mystical tool of DVR, right? So a few weeks ago, I'm watching my Cowboys, and they play against the Redskins, and they actually beat the Redskins. And I knew that they had beat the Redskins, and I didn't watch it till the next day on DVR. And I'm watching the game, and I watch the whole thing, and I know, what's this? I know how the game ends. And it gets to the third quarter, and it looks dark and desperate for the Cowboys. And then it gets to the fourth quarter, and they're doing some ridiculous, stupid mistakes and fumbling and interceptions. And the Redskins have the ball, and they're driving, and they score with like a minute to go. And everybody's like, oh, man, what's going to happen? I'm watching the game. Doesn't bother me. I watch. Do you know why what was apparently happening in the moment didn't affect me as much? Because I knew the end of the game. And the turnovers and the fumbles and what seemed dark. I mean, we were late in the fourth quarter with a minute to go and Dallas was behind. I'm calm. I'm collected because I know that at the end of the game, my team wins. Now, here's the point that we're going to look at this morning for you, child of God. The what we know of our certain future affects the way we live our life today. Let me just encourage you. We win. King Jesus wins. His kingdom will be established, and you're a part of something that's going somewhere, and you're a part of something that cannot fail. The kingdom of God. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read one verse to you, and then that's going to push us over into the book of Revelation. The, the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of New Testament early believers. This is early in the growth and the development of the church in the Roman Empire. He's writing to this group of believers in a day that it was not popular, it was not legal, and it was not even safe to be a follower of Christ. 
They knew nothing of religious freedom. They knew nothing of constitutional rights. It was illegal in the Roman Empire early on to be believers. And these believers Peter's writing to are scattered abroad. The Bible says they have faced fiery ordeals. They have suffered because of their faith. It's as if they're in the fourth quarter. Things aren't looking good. And they're asking the question, where's this thing... I know I got too loud, maybe. Where's this thing going? Where's this thing going? Is it going anywhere? And Peter writes to these believers who had nothing in their present circumstance to put their hope in. And he writes them and says, you need to know the future. Because it changes the way you see your present. So he writes, 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, he writes. That means pull in the loose ends of your thinking. Pull in these thoughts of anxiety and fear and discouragement that you're thinking, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know where it's going. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Keep sober in spirit means to see reality as it really is, not just as it appears to be in the moment. Make clear decisions, self-control, clarity of mind. How do you do that? End of the verse. Fix your hope. Listen to me. Fix your hope. Depending on your current circumstances, that means a whole lot different, something different to you. Right now, if everything in your life's going well, everything's smooth, I'm healthy, kids are healthy, everything's fine, we got money in the bank, we're comfortable, maybe you have gotten way too comfortable in this life and forgotten this is not your home. And that anything that you ultimately put your hope in in this life is fading away. And Peter is saying, listen, to this group of believers who had nothing in this life to put their hope in, he said, fix your hope completely on the grace. He chooses the word grace because grace always implies something given by God to those who never deserved it at all. It's a grace from God. Fix your hope completely on grace. Listen, to be brought to you future grace. Grace that you haven't even experienced yet. Grace that you don't even know about yet. There is future grace to be brought to you. When? Where? Where is this? And Peter says, hey, at the revelation of King Jesus. There is a day. There is a time. There is a season coming when He is going to flood our lives again with so much grace. And that grace is at the revelation of King Jesus. The word hope here. Fix your hope. We use the word hope. You use the word hope. English word hope means something I really think might happen and I really, with some expectation, want it to happen, but I'm not sure. English idea of hope is there's always uncertainty. I really, really hope this happens. I hope it rains tomorrow, but I'm not sure. That's never the biblical word hope. The biblical word hope, as it's used here, is always absolute certainty for the future, just not realized yet. 
When he says fix your hope on the grace that's coming, it's not there might be something coming. Jesus Christ might come. There might be a day he makes everything right. There might be a day he sets the world right as it's supposed to be. Uh Uh-uh, it's not uncertainty. There's not a hint of uncertainty, but absolute confidence and assurance. Fix your hope. Fix your hope. Our certain future deeply impacts the way we see and live our lives today. We walked through this in the first service and somebody, a friend, came up to me after the service and said, man, this was for me, it was for my friend. Two days ago, my best friend in the world was diagnosed with bone cancer. We don't know what the future is. And you can't imagine what it meant to me today when everything around me seemed shaky to be able to fix my hope on the something that is totally certain. If your life right now is full of anxiety and uncertainty and fearfulness, it's because you have fixed your hope on something uncertain. Fix your hope on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you read through the New Testament as we've been doing it, and you come to the writing of Paul and the writing of Peter and John and all the New Testament writers, you're going to know that the early church lived this way. The early church lived with this confident expectation, this waiting and this longing for the day that Jesus would come back. They weren't overly comfortable in the world that God had placed them. They were living on mission. Peter says they were passing through as aliens and strangers. They knew this world wasn't their home. And there was this anxious longing and waiting for the day King Jesus would come back and make everything right. Listen to some of these illustrations really quick. Philippians 3, Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says this. He says to this New Testament early group of believers, Our citizenship is in heaven. And by the way, that verse will mean a whole lot to you if you realize this earth is not my home, but if we've sunk our anchor into things that are temporal and we're just way too comfortable here, this verse won't mean much. But if you are longing for your heavenly home and King Jesus that's coming, this verse means everything. You are a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. Therefore, the ups and downs of this life will just bounce right off of you. You don't live in a world that you... you, you, you're not, you, you You embrace reality for what it is, but you have a perspective that this world is not my home. I'm a citizen of a heavenly kingdom from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and one day the king is coming back to establish his kingdom, and I will reign with him forever and ever. That is a perspective-altering truth that you can fix your hope on. Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, At the end of his life, Paul's writing from a jail cell. Paul doesn't make it out alive. He's beheaded. History tells us that. He dies. But his perspective, even at the end of his life, is this. 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8. I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future. In the future. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Heaven is not a reward for the children of God. It's by grace, but for the children of God, there are rewards in heaven. And Paul is looking to that day, and look what he says. And he says this, He will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved His appearing. Meaning, 
one of the marks of a true believer is that we long and we love and we look for the appearing of King Jesus because we realize this life is not home. We're not home yet. Are you longing for His appearing? The New Testament believers, they lived this way. It affected the way they lived their life then with great expectation, expectation for the future now. So where is this thing going? <laughs> what can we fix our hope onto? Well, take your Bibles and flip over to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start there. I'm going to read several passages for you, make some observations as we go, try to give you some application, and then we'll wrap up this series this morning. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. So the Apostle John is writing... One of Jesus' 12 disciples, he's writing from the island of Patmos. He's been exiled out on this little rock in the middle of the Mediterranean. Emperor, probably Caligula of the Roman Empire, has exiled him there. To John, it looks like it's in the fourth quarter. The game is not going well. I don't know how this thing is going to end. Things don't look good. And the Lord Jesus Christ appears to him. So the book of Revelation is a vision, if you will, that's given to John of the future that John is then to take back. He's taken from the island to take back to the churches. And now us, 2,000 years later, a message to us of the future as the people of God. So John writes in verse 11, he says this, beautiful, beautiful verses. John says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... The heavens literally open. I don't think that means the clouds just part. It means the spiritual realm is now visible. I can see into the spiritual realm. It's been there the whole time, but I've not had capacity to see it. The spiritual realm is now open. And behold, the white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. This one on the horse, King Jesus, verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems or crowns. He has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. Even in heaven, in eternity, there will be aspects of the character and the dimension of God that we can't conceive. He is infinite. He's infinite. He is, clo he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood a vivid reminder of the price that he paid to redeem his people. And his name is called the Word of God, verse 14. And there's, there's somebody with him. It says, And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who's that? We'll find out in a minute. But I'll just tell you this. If you don't know how to ride a horse, you better get ready. You better learn to ride a horse before you get to heaven. You'll be riding some horses. Verse 15, his mouth comes a sharp sword so that he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress, the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And if there's any confusion about who this character is, riding on the great white horse, verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, the only, the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords. King Jesus has returned. Now, in this are several different aspects that I want to give you. I'm going to walk through two, two major truths, if you will, about this future grace. Let me give you the first one. Future grace number one is this. Jesus Christ will visibly and literally return to the earth one day. Jesus Christ is going to return. 
The Bible lays it out very clearly here. And in his return, there's at least three different aspects here. And and let me just tell you, I I can't even begin to cover all that's here. I mean, let me just tell you, in, in the next 15 or 20 minutes, however long we stay, I can't even begin. I pray if you haven't read through Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22, you end your year by burying your heart and your soul in the book of Revelation and celebrate that you know how the future is going to be. It's laid out. I'll do my best to hit a few high points here. First one is this. Jesus is going to return. Here's what we see. He returns as a conquering king. Verse 11. He returns on a white horse. Well, does Jesus just like white horses? What's the big deal about that? In that day. In other words, you always interpret the Bible the way it was understood then. You know what it means now by what it meant then. In that day, a Roman general who had conquered would ride into the capital on a white stallion. And everyone knew, there's the conquering general. There's the one who led the victory. There's the one who led the victory for his people. And he would ride into Rome and there would be this huge procession and huge celebration of this conquering king. John knows that. He has that history. And this vision of him is this. I'm on Patmos. It's the fourth quarter. My team seems to be losing. There seems to be no hope. Wait a minute. Here comes the conquering king. Don't forget your team wins. Your team wins. You can just imagine John sitting on this island. Wait a minute. There he comes on this, on this great white horse. This conquering king is coming. Now you remember it's the exact opposite of when he rolled into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. Jesus did not ride into Jerusalem in the Gospels on a great white horse. He rode into Jerusalem on a what? On a donkey. The picture of a suffering servant who came to die and to serve. That's his first coming symbolized as a servant. His second coming symbolized as a conquering king when he comes back and every eye will see him and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. That's the Jesus that these crazy Jesus followers have been talking about for all these thousands of years. See, by now, we see him through the eye of faith. One day, we will see with sight. And, and by the way, So will the rest of the world. So he comes in on this great white stallion. He also comes in judgment. Verse 11 and 12, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. In righteousness, the word righteous means he judges rightly. We all expect someone who sits on a bench, someone who serves as a judge, to judge righteously. We know that doesn't always happen. King Jesus will judge. King Jesus will carry out judgment, and he will do it perfectly and in perfect righteousness. And if you read this, you come to verse 12, and it says, His eyes are a flame of fire. What does that mean? Let me just give you my... Mike Lauren translation of that. It means the piercing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ can pierce through our fluff and can pierce through our religiosity. And here's what that means. You can fool everybody on the planet except King Jesus. Can't fool him. He knows where you are. He knows what game you might be playing. He knows where your heart is. He knows what you're hiding. He knows what you're pretending. He still loves you and desires to extend grace to you. You can't hide a thing from Him. 
So in perfect judgment, he comes. And, and let me just say, as a church, that we long to live on mission, and we say that all the time, meaning if we're going to be a church on mission, the missionaries are you. The mission of the church is carried out by you and me. And we read this and we say, there is a day coming when those who know Christ will reign with Him forever, but there is also a day coming that those who do not know Christ will face eternal judgment. And you say, I don't like that. That's hellfire and brimstone preaching. Let me be very clear. As people of God, if we don't read this, our hearts will grow callous and we will grow apathetic to the person we wait 10 years to ever share the gospel with. Without Christ, we'll spend eternity in hell. Now, God is sovereign. I believe in His sovereign grace, but I also believe He uses us. He uses us. I don't know how the two fit together. Here's a picture of the great white throne of judgment. Revelation 20, verse 11. This Jesus who comes in judgment, He judges righteously. What does that look like? Verse 11 of chapter 20. John says, Then I saw a great white throne. Who is the great white throne for? We know it in the book of Revelation. It's not for believers. Your judgment has already been poured out in perfect righteous judgment. Where? At the cross. And those who receive by faith the payment that was paid at the cross will never stand before the great white throne judgment. But those who reject and those who trust in themselves And those who believe in their own religiosity, if you will, will stand before the great white throne and him who sat upon it from his presence, earth and heaven fled away. Verse 13, and the sea gave up their dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Fire. Jesus will come in sure and righteous and perfect judgment. And I pray if you're here and you don't know Christ, it should disturb you deeply. And if you're here and you do know Christ, it should motivate us that those who don't know Him, their future is dark. So Jesus, He comes as a conquering King. Jesus comes in Righteous judgment, thirdly, quickly. Verse 13 and 14, he returns with his redeemed people. This is beautiful. Verse 13 and 14 says, He is clothed in the robe, dipped in blood, the blood that bought our redemption. His name is called the Word of God, and the armies of heaven are with him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and following him on white horses. There's this massive of humanity, if you will, that's following. Who's, who are these armies? Well, we know that these armies is made up at least of the church that has already been called out to meet Him in the air. Prior to Revelation 19, we know from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when you talk about the second coming, and there's a lot of room for discussion among believers, we know Christ is coming again. We know there's a time when He returns with His people. Before that, there's a time He returns and calls His people out to meet Him in the air. Two different aspects. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So in the, 
and in eternity. God calls his people to meet him in the air that's called the rapture or the catching away of the church. And then there is a time set by the Father that that group of redeemed humanity will experience what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. They will experience their glorified bodies that Christ gives. And then Christ calls them and puts on him this fine white linen, the righteous acts of the saints. And then we are part of the army that will enter and come back and return with Christ triumphant. He returns with his people. So we know it's this church that's been called out. We know it's made up of the church of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Revelation chapter 5, the scene around the throne happens prior to this and for all eternity. That worthy are you to break the seals. There are people there from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation bringing worship and honor to King Jesus. So there's this army returning with him. Why? Well, let me assure you, it's not because Jesus needs reinforcements to carry out what he's going to do. <laughs> okay? It's because we as his army, when he has defeated his enemies, will reign with him forever and ever and ever. And this mass of humanity that has been redeemed by him and made like him brings him great glory forever and ever and ever. And return to the earth. Following this, Jesus defeats his enemies. The Antichrist is defeated. The great battle is fought and won. The great white throne takes place. The Antichrist is defeated. The false prophet is defeated. Then finally, the final defeat of Satan takes place. And let me just tell an encouraging verse for me. Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. (laughs) There is an end to Satan, and he knows it, and it's coming. And those of you who wrestle with the flesh like all of us do, and we wrestle with temptation, and we see the effects of sin, man, it ought to lift our hearts of praise to know there is a day the very presence of sin is going to be gone. And the very author of sin himself, Satan, is going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. His doom is coming. So Jesus is going to return. And he's going to return as a righteous judge and as a conquering king and his people are going to be with him and let me give you the second of these two graces just bear with me here number two is this there is a day coming when Jesus Christ will make all things new I mean you've had to have wondered you've had to have turned on the television you've had to open the newspaper maybe somebody has asked you you've got to think God, are you ever going to do something about the mess? Is there ever going to be a time that those who do such wickedness and the world is in such a mess and all the ideas to fix it fail and all the different plans to fix it flop? Listen, is there going to be a day when everything will be made right? Yes. And let me just assure you, it's not going to be November 2016 when a new president's elected. Sorry. But there is a day when everything's going to be made right, and we as believers fix our hope, fix our hope on this great promise. Revelation 21, I'll read a few verses. Verse 1 says this. So John was given this vision of of King Jesus who came, and then he's given this vision, verse 21, or verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Listen, I used to read that and I thought, wait a minute. Does that mean there's not going to be any beaches in heaven? Does that mean there's no Myrtle Beach in heaven? No Redneck Riviera? 
not what that means. I'm pretty sure there's not a redneck Riviera in heaven. But anyway, it means that the very atmospheric conditions by which we know now that the earth being covered 75% water, it's not going to be that way anymore. It'll be a perfect temperature. It'll be a perfect atmosphere across all that we know, a new heaven and a new earth. Everything will be made new. It's not like it is today. Verse 2, and I saw a holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. The word tabernacle means a dwelling place. And I hope this makes our, our heart just leap for joy that there is a day that visually, visibly, literally, yes, by the Spirit and also by sight, God will dwell in our very midst. We will be with Him. And this struggle that we have of sin and this fight we have to walk with Him, that we always fight, that struggle will be over and we will know Him as He is and this intimacy and fellowship that we long to have with Him will be ours forever. He will tabernacle with His people. Verse 4, this is beautiful. He will wipe away every tear. There will no longer be any death. Some of you have tasted the death of a family member in 2015. It's a painful reality. There is a day coming when the reality of death will no longer be ours to know. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things which are the effects of sin and because of the fall, all those things will be gone. The first things have passed away. Verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There is a day coming when King Jesus will restore all things as they are supposed to be. It's coming. Nothing seems to work right now. Nothing seems to function the way it's supposed to. This area is a mess and this area is a mess. Is it ever going to function and work the way it's supposed to? Yes, when King Jesus returns and restores the earth to new heaven and a new earth the way it was intended to be. Chapter 22, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God. This river is a symbol of the picture of life and vitality that comes from the very presence of God. Evidently, theologians say it's a river not like we know today. This is a life-giving river that comes from the very presence of God that fills heaven. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Evidently, there'll still be nations, there'll still be ethnic groups, there'll still be these divisions somehow, some way, but we'll live in perfect harmony with one another. There'll be the healing of the nations. Verse 3, there'll no longer be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. And verse 4, and let me just say again, as a child of God, as someone who longs to know Christ more, verse 4 is just riveting, and they will see His face. Did you hear that? Oh, we fight the fight of faith. We fight the fight of longing to know Him and be more like Him and walk with Him all by grace and His Spirit. But through faith, we see now in a mirror dimly, but there's a day coming we will see face to face. Can you imagine it? He says, and their names will be written on his forehead. What does that mean? Complete security. Complete security. 
His names or his name will be written on their forehead. And it's an idea of complete security and identity. We are known by him. We belong to him forever and ever and ever. Verse 5, there'll no longer be any night. They'll have no need of the light or the lamp. There'll be no sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever and ever. So what's the future? The end of verse 5 has always intrigued me. I love the end of verse 5. It says that we will reign with Him forever and ever. I don't know if your vision of heaven is you become kind of like this puffy cherub and you just float around all day and sing and play your harp. That's, that's That's not what heaven is. It'll be perfect worship, but you will have a divine purpose and clear responsibilities, and you will be part of the kingdom of God that is thriving forever and ever and ever. You are reigning with a king who reigns righteously, and he establishes kingdom, and you will have divine responsibilities and roles and purposeful life in that kingdom. You ever had the sense at the end of a day that, man, that's a day, I accomplished something that day. Job well done. That's the sense in eternity because you're living out divine, unhindered purpose in the kingdom of God. So, here's what we know. Things will not always be as they currently are. Amen. King Jesus is literally going to return and he is going to establish his perfect kingdom forever and ever and ever. And there is a day coming when he will make all things new. Now, very quickly, and this will be very quickly. In fact, our team can come on up and just begin to play. I I, I want to ask you now, how do we respond to this? You get to the end of chapter 22 and, and John has help understanding how to respond. How do you respond to these I mean, eternal truths? Three words and I'm done. Number one, hope. Hope. Not uncertainty. Not might be, not maybe. Listen to 1 Peter again in light of all that we've just read. Therefore, beloved... Gird your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Shore up all these loose ways of thinking of the world, all these fear and anxiety and uncertainty and unknown, all the things that shake us. Prepare your mind for action. Keep sober in spirit. See things as they really are. This world is not the end. It's not your home. Things are not always going to be as they currently are. Fix your hope. Fix your hope put the anchor of your future and your hope in that which we know for sure and can not change fix your hope completely on what the grace will be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ we know the end of the story we know the end of the story secondly is witness witness See, when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, the apostle John makes his way off the island of Patmos, evidently, and he takes this book back, this letter to the churches. And at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17, says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit of God and the bride, the church, even at the end of the book of Revelation, the message is an invitation. Come. Who? 
And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take water of life without cost come. In other words, the people of God are to read the book of Revelation and we are to be overjoyed that we know the future and we are to be deeply, deeply burdened for those who do not know Christ. Deeply burdened. Come. So how do we respond? Hope. Witness. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Then the end will come. What we do in mission causes and what we do, personal evangelism, this calling God has given us somehow, according to 2 Peter, hastens the day of the coming of the Lord. I don't understand all that. That's what the Bible indicates. Jesus said this gospel we preach to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. Then the end will come. And thirdly, and we're fine, we're finished. Worship. Worship. See, we're worshiping now what we see by faith, but one day we're going to see Him by sight. And the book of Revelation is laid out that we are worshiping by faith today King Jesus, Lord of Lords, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, who will establish His kingdom forever and ever and ever. Worship Him final words of revelation is this he who testifies to these things says yes I'm coming quickly amen and John responds by saying even so come even so come yes come Lord Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all amen and the book of revelation comes to a close you bow your head with me this morning? Our team's going to sing over us in just a minute, and we're going to stand and sing some of these great truths that we've read about, but you may be here this morning. You realize that if Jesus were to come today, you would stand before the great white throne of judgment on your own without Christ because you've never trusted Him. You've never taken the robe of righteousness that He offers by faith and trusted Him as Lord and Savior this morning. Right here, right now, today. Right there in your seat. Call out to King Jesus by faith. Lord, I need You. I'm a sinner. And You are my only Savior. I give You my life. I believe You died on the cross. You rose from the dead and You are coming again. And I trust You with my eternity. That's you. We want to speak with you after the service and explain to you what it means to know Christ. You may be here. And your heart has become so distracted. Your hope is fixed on temporal things. Fix your hope. Fix your hope. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the living Word of God. Lord, we sink the anchor of our soul into that which cannot change. The grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. In your name.